Welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Tina Muir. Hello, this is Tina Muir, and I would like to welcome you to another episode of the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast. Now, I've been doing this for about six months now, and I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for listening. Whether this is your first Run to the Top podcast or whether you've listened to every episode, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. And I just want to say a special thank you to those of you who have taken the time to review the podcast on iTunes or email me your suggestions and support. I really appreciate that, and I really love to hear from you. I have always been fascinated with the minds of runners. At one point in my life, I even looked into becoming a sports psychologist. Sometimes I wonder how my life would have been different. But today, I had the opportunity to ask those questions I have always wondered about with a well-known sports psychologist who has studied distance runners in detail, and he has come to some fascinating conclusions on why we act the way we do. You're going to learn so much in this interview, and it will make you change your whole outlook on life especially if you want to be successful and get the most out of your running goals. My guest today is Dr. Stan Beecham. Dr. Stan started as a sports psychologist and leadership consultant based in Roswell, Georgia. He started the sports psychology program for the athletic department at UGA, where he helped them win numerous individual and team championships. He now works with collegiate Olympic and professional athletes and in 2013 he brought out an award-winning book named Elite Minds. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in detail today. Dr. Stan is a world-class speaker with a focus on helping athletes and corporations perform to the best of their ability. Today Dr. Stan and I are going to talk about why curiosity and openness could be the keys to success in your running and life why we need to get back to being human beings instead of human doings, why you need to let go of some of the control in your life and how this will change your perspective on injuries to even view them as a gift. I know that sounds crazy to most of us, but it really does make sense when you listen to what he has to say. Why you need to change the way you treat yourself and how self-belief will lead to the result you have always dreamed of. I am ready to dive into my crazy. Are you? Let's meet Dr. Stan. Welcome to the Run to the Top podcast, Dr. Stan. It's good to be with you all. I'm excited to have you. And we've always had uh, a, a request for a sports psychologist uh, for many, many months now. And, you know, I've always been excited to kind of talk to uh, someone of your prestige. So I'm, I'm excited to get to know you a little bit more. But um, to begin, was there a defining moment when you kind of realized you wanted to be a psychologist? Was it something you knew as a child or was there a moment in your life that sparked it? I don't, I don't think there was so much a particular moment, but I, uh, I remember as a kid growing up, my father was a psychiatrist and, um, he had uh, a fellow who worked with him who would, who lived in Alabama and we lived in the Metro Atlanta in Roswell. Uh, Tap Hansen was his name and Tap used to stay at our house a good bit. And, and I remember sitting with them and listening to them discuss um, some of the patients that they were treating. And, um, and I remember sitting, uh, I'd be sitting with my father watching TV and he would be on call and get a phone call and have to turn the volume down on the TV. <laughs> and I couldn't decide what was more interesting, the game on TV or listen to my father talk to this person who's trying to kill themselves. Yeah. Uh, and so 
I've always been fascinated with human beings and why we do what we do, what affects, you know, why we do what we do. Um, that's always been of interest to me. I haven't ever run across anything that's more interesting than human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I started playing ball and then later working with athletes, what became really clear to me is that there were a lot of athletes who had a, had a good deal of talent but never uh, got to their full potential, if you will. At the same time, there were other athletes who were not as talented but seemed to play at a very high level. And so I became very interested in why is that? Or an athlete might play well in one situation and not well in another. Um, so that's that's something that's always been interesting to me is what are the factors internally and externally that affect what we do, uh, that affect our ability to manage ourselves, if you will. So those things have always been interesting to me. Uh, there's been, uh, I wouldn't say there's been a moment, but there's been a, a number of events over time that have really shaped my thinking around that. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it comes to, you know, you, you said about that interested you from the start and we, you know, we hear about how uh, mental sport is and, you know, we are the Runners Connect podcast, so we kind of focus in on running here. But why, if this is so uh, prominent and important, why, why do you think there's, you know, there's, there's all this uh, emphasis on training and what you can do to be the best runner, but realistically, the what's between your ears makes the b- biggest difference. So why do you think there's not more focus on it than there is? Well, I think people just don't understand the impact that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think all sport is evolving, just just as humans are. Um, so we've we've learned how to physically train. Um, those kind of things are easy for us to receive. We've learned how to change our diets. Mm-hmm. We've learned how to use different treatment modalities to keep ourselves healthy. Yep. Uh, and so the next wave, if you will, will be really how do you use your mind to um, to create an ideal performance. Uh, there, there are a few people out there who just intuitively know how to do that. Um, but the majority of people don't. But they think they do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, in other words, they're, they're walking around afraid and they don't even know that they're walking around afraid. Um, so I think there's a lot of athletes who have become curious about this just because, I, like I said, I think that, you know, we as a people and in, in, in all sports, there's an evolution that's taking place uh, where we become more and more curious about the multitudes of things that influence us. And so I, I just see the, the sports psychology thing as a natural progression. And I think there are individuals or coaches who can, you know, increase or decrease the, the process at which that happens. Uh, I, I can tell you my own experience. Uh, the, the best coaches are much more interested in sports psychology mm-hmm. as well as the best athletes are versus the folks who aren't doing as well. Because what you see is people who are who get to the top at whatever they do, whether it be sport or business, they have a curiosity about them. They have an openness about them that most people don't have. And that's one of the reasons why they're so successful is they're constantly learning, uh, constantly curious about what's next, what they can add to their arsenal, um, you know, what the things that they can do to help themselves. So do you think that's something, is that something someone can learn or is that kind of like an innate thing? You either have it or you don't. No, it's uh, what I'm saying is there's some people just what they've been taught um, the way that they were raised, it, it sets them up to do okay. well in 
competitive environment. No, but it, it's a taught thing. And it's, it's more, more than a taught thing. It's an awareness thing. In other words, most people walk around pretty much 24 seven and they're thinking. Mm -hmm. Okay. In fact, we were, we think so much that we don't even know when we're thinking. And what's interesting is that most people aren't very consciously aware of what it is that they're thinking. In other words, they don't have an awareness of what their mind is doing, but their mind is very active. Okay. And so for me, one of the, one of the first steps and one of the most important steps is to teach people how to become aware of what they're thinking or what they're telling themselves, which as you know, ultimately ends up into what you believe. Mm -hmm. Okay. So repetitive thought becomes belief. In other words, repetitive thought is done at a conscious level and belief is at an unconscious level. So there's these things that you, that, that all athletes, all runners, they hold as true about themselves or about their ability as a runner, right? So you call it a belief, mm -hmm. but it's something you hold as true. And they don't even know that they hold it as a truth. Huh, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So they have a belief about themselves in terms of what they can and can't do. And they don't even know that they have this belief. <laughs> so obviously becoming aware of that in terms of what I think about myself and what I think I'm capable of doing, becoming aware of that would be really helpful. Uh, if you're trying to, to, you know, perform at your highest level and, and inevitably what you see is most athletes have a belief that's very limiting and that belief is specifically, I'm not good enough. I need to be better. Yeah, no, I could, I could definitely see that. And actually, um, before I ran London marathon a few weeks ago and I remember, um, one of the coaches I know said to me, um, before the race, he was like, you know, believe, believe. And he kept saying believe. And at the time it kind of almost made me upset because I, I don't, it was so powerful, but, um, it really, but he said, what? sorry, believe what? Just like, believe you can do this. But cause, uh, I think you, know, like you said, a lot of us, it's, um, a case of, um, you don't believe in yourself. You don't know what you can do. And I think we're so, uh, limiting on ourselves and put this cap on our, selves that we can only achieve this but it that kind of matches along with what you said there but um I kind of want to ask you so um I just want to differentiate here for people that think you know going to a sports psychologist is just for some someone to do if something is wrong um I'm guessing that you know this is going to be something great you can do as a tool uh you know regardless of whether you're running you know well or whether you you do need help but you know everyone can kind of benefit from like you said the awareness of finding out about yourself? Yeah, like I said, the, the, the best athletes, the best coaches, they have a curiosity and they have an openness that the others don't. Yep. And, and so they're constantly trying to look for how do they uh, improve upon what they're doing. And that is not the same thing as I have a problem and I'm trying to fix it. Now, I, I think that we, we come out of a, a culture and a history where – you know, you go to the doctor when you have a problem or if there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you might go and talk to a psychologist if there's something wrong. And, and that is now changing. I mean, I my whole career, I spend working with people who are healthy, functioning at very high levels. Mm -hmm. uh, I work a lot in corporate America and I work with, you know, people who are, you know, presidents, vice presidents, senior people in companies. These are folks that we would all look upon as successful but yet they're continuing to be curious about how to become more successful. 
You know, at the same time, I work with mostly collegiate and professional athletes, and these are all folks who've been very successful, and they're, you know, trying to find the next piece. So I think, you know, there are a lot of people, as I said earlier, who have a lot of fear, and they don't even know that they're afraid. And this would be an example of that, you know, that people are afraid to really kind of dig into themselves and uncover what might be there. So because of that fear, they just don't go there. And they don't have conversations that are going to challenge themselves in their own belief system. Okay. And then is there any suggestions you have for someone who's listening to this right now and they're thinking, okay, you know, I I want to try this. I want to, you know, increase my awareness. I want to kind of embrace that fear, find that curiosity. Is there any like tips or advice you would have for someone who wants to take that step? Oh, there's, there's a infinite number of things that you can do. I mean, the, the first thing is just simply to wake up. And what I mean by that is waking up is begin to pay attention to your own thought process and what you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. In other words, m- most people aren't really conscious of what they're doing. They're just doing it. Yeah. You know, so w- a lot of the times when I work with athletes uh, who are training for, say, Olympics, those kinds of things, you know, I'll ask them what appears to be a pretty silly question, which is, why are you doing this? You know, why do you get up every morning and run? Why do you put your body through this? Mm-hmm. And my feeling is that if you don't have a pretty big why, it's not going to go well for you. Because inevitably you're going to come into a difficult time, whether you become injured or, you know, you lose some motivation. And if you don't have a big why, uh, it's not going to go well for you. But what what I generally find with most people who've been really tremendously successful is their answer to the why is 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 really kind of along the lines of I have to do it. You know, it's kind of like running pick me. I didn't pick running Hmm. or 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 I feel compelled to do this or when I'm running, that's the time in my life when I feel most alive or when I'm running, that's the time of my life where I feel most connected to other people or to the rest of the universe. And so the reason why is, is that, it, that running becomes a vehicle for being full and complete as a person. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. We, we tend to think of, of sport and competition as a means to an end. I don't think it is. I don't think it's about winning or beating someone else. I think that what happens is when you fully commit your life to doing something like running, it transforms you. It, it, it makes you a different person. And that is ultimately what we're really going after is how can I, in my short period of time on this planet, transform myself from what I was to what I could possibly be. And so challenging yourself physically, I think, is a great way of doing that. I mean, you could also sit in meditation for hours on end, but you know, most of us were too damn hyper to do that, right? We need to get out and move around. So, but, but I think once people really dig into why they're spending so much time in their sport, what they do realize is that there is a transformative quality to competitive athletics. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I, I can kind of uh, attest to that myself with, uh, with again, the London Marathon. Before I'd raced, uh, the last few years, every time I raced, I felt, I kept saying it was the finish line, that that was the reason I ran, that was the reason I trained. But it was in London, I decided to let go of those goals and kind of say, I'm just going to, 
I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy the motion of running. And I did. And I, I, I ran great. I felt great. And I think that was really the moment for me when I realized it wasn't, like you said, it was more about um, the transformative aspect of it rather than the end goal. So. Well, you, you know, you bring up an interesting point, which is you made, you made a, a conscious um, intention to enjoy the running. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, this is what you said, Tina, right? You yep. said to, you said to yourself, I'm going to go out and enjoy it. And what's interesting is a lot of people believe that if I allow myself to enjoy it, then I'm not taking it seriously enough. So, right. So there's this sense of, you know, there's kind of two schools of this, right? One is that we should take our lives seriously and everything that we do seriously. And the other school is that we should enjoy our life and we should pursue things that make us feel alive. Now, whichever camp you're in, you're going to fight for that. You know, it's kind of like people with their religious beliefs. You know, everyone, whatever they believe, they believe is right. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't have a belief and say, I believe this, but I know it's not true. Mm-hmm. So people who believe that everything should be serious and difficult, uh, they have a real difficult time allowing themselves to enjoy the process. Yeah, definitely. I can right? see that. But what I would say to those people is, is my experience with elite level athletes is that when they are performing at their highest level, call it being in the zone or in the flow, when they're at their best, they have an experience of, of pleasure or enjoyment. And they also have an experience of that they're, they're not pushing up against something. In other words, it doesn't feel difficult or hard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it'd be, it'd be kind of like as a runner, you know, you can think about making your body run and you can also have the thought of your body's just running on its own, you know? So is my body running because I'm making it run or is my body running because that's what it wants to do? Hmm, interesting. You know, so there's the things that we do and there's the things that happen to us. I mean, it's the same with your heart, right? You know, how do you beat your heart? How do you do it? Could you explain it to me? No. And you, well, it just happens, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> it's just something that happens, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you digest your food? Well, it just happens. And, and, and so we, we've become a culture where we're obsessed about the things that we do and how we're going to do them. And what we've lost is a sense of the things that naturally, organically happen to us. Hmm. You follow me? Yeah. And so you can think of running as something that you do. Or you can think of running as something that happens to your body. That's a great way of looking at it. Very yeah. interesting. And what I would suggest to you is that when you're out there and you're having these runs that become magical, right, and become spiritual, my sense is what most people experience is their body's running, that it's doing it on its own, that they're not making it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just something, you know, the, the body's willing itself to do it. And so you're not you're not resisting anything. Yeah. Oh, great. And and I, I think I think this is the experience that people have in, in, in multiple things throughout their lives, right? There's the times when you're doing something, you're forcing something, and then there's the time when something happens to you. Yep. And we need to get better at letting it happen to us. Yeah. Which can be difficult, but yeah, it's definitely, yeah. Uh, that I, that I, I definitely realized that a few weeks ago, and uh, I think it's something that, you know, if you are listening right now, you know, give it a try, just kind of 
stop stressing out about it, stop, um, you know, putting so much uh, intensity into it and kind of just let it happen, like like uh, Dr. Yeah. Stan said. So have you found with runners that you have had, um, you know, when they come talk to you that there's the same things that come up over and over or does each runner have their unique doubts that, they, that you need to kind of work with? Well, everyone at the end of the day is, is the thing that you're struggling against is fear. But we don't like to use that word. You know, a two-year-old will say, I'm afraid, right? A two-year-old will say, I'm scared. But a grown-up won't do that. So we've created a whole lexicon to talk about fear. So words like anxiety and stress, um, frustration, Mm -hmm. even even anger. I think anger is a byproduct of fear. So we've come up with all these grown-up ways of saying, I'm afraid. And, and, And so... When you're trying to essentially figure out what your body is capable of doing, you have to address this issue of what the fear is. Yeah. Okay. Now, I would say one of the things that I think is is unique about not just runners, but distance runners, you know, they're their own special breed, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like dogs, right? You know, there's, there's certain types of dogs. Uh, you know, runners, distance runners as a group, I would say, are... Um, above average intelligence. They tend to be pretty smart people. Mm-hmm. They tend to be very driven. You might call it type A yep. uh, or perfectionistic. It's, you know, it's never quite enough. There's a sense of that. I always should do more. Um, so just really high achieving uh, distance runners as a group, I think have a lot of control over their physical bodies. You know, they're able to make themselves, do things, whether it be what they eat or, or, you know, what they do with their physical body. They seem to have a lot of control over their physical body. And, um, and so a lot of that is beneficial to them. At the same time, a lot of that makes you pretty neurotic and crazy (laughs) because you just don't ever know when to just leave it alone and let it be right. Yeah. (laughs) Because every, everything is methodical and planned out and every action has to have an intention and a desired outcome. And so I've, I've found with a lot of distance runners is um, they have a really difficult time to just um, stop the planning and stop the control of themselves, okay, that they're very controlled, you know, very controlled species, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and, th- and this is what they think is the key is to be in control of self, Right. So inevitably what happens is you're going through life and then you have this experience in life and you realize you're not in control, that there really is no control. There's just the illusion of being in control, right? Mm -hmm. That there's this big universe and all these things are happening. And, and so the question then becomes is, is how do you make sense out of that? So if I'm not in control, then what should I be doing or should I even try at all? And so a lot, a lot of that shows up the distance runners in, in the form of injury. Yeah. Right. Where you thought you're doing everything exactly as you should. And now you're essentially breaking. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thought is, well, how could this have happened? Cause I did everything the way I was supposed to. Right. I mean, I followed the instruction <laughs> to the T and uh, so why is this now happening to me? And, Um, so now you have to make sense of either injury or illness. And, you know, I've thought about this a lot, the concept of, 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 of just not only just not being in control and the anxiety of not being in control, 
but specifically how it manifests itself for distance runners. And, and it is injury, right? Yeah. If not, if not injury to the point that you can't run at all, injury to the point where you're limited by it. Yep, or overtrained. That's it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 what I've realized is is that injury brings a gift with it that you as a runner are not able to give yourself. Okay. In other words. The body's going to get what it needs, whether you give it to it or not, right? Yep. So what I've learned is whether it's injury or illness, it all ends up with one thing, and that's mandatory rest. Yep. Right? And so what the injury does is it basically gives you something that you didn't have the ability to give yourself, which is some downtime or some rest. But most runners, they don't see the injury as a gift, right? They see it as a curse. Yeah. And they go, I can't believe this is happening to me. You know, and then I walk in the room, I go, well, what's happening to you? And they go, well, I'm injured. I said, well, I know you're injured, but what's happening as a result of the injured injury, right? And what's happening is, is now that you're resting. Or maybe you're not able to run, but you do other exercises, right? So if your identity, and I know this is true with most runners, their, their identity, if you ask them what they do, they say, I run. Yeah. So their identity is being a runner, not an athlete. Yeah. And I would suggest to those listening that you want your identity to be an athlete first and a runner second. So that if you find yourself in a position where you can't run, you can still do, you can still be physically active. Yeah. Great point there. And um, I actually, I definitely can hear what you're saying there. And I actually did, uh, I saw a sports psychologist myself about uh, five years ago, um, because uh, I had the same thing. I had, I had an injury come up and I felt this incredible loss of identity. And uh, the way he worded it was that um, I had become the runner named Tina instead of Tina the runner. So I'd kind of made the running become all that I was and all that I thought I had to offer. So, yeah, and you're right with the injury thing. Like we always see it as, oh, you know, like you said, why did this happen to me? Or why am I, why is it me? Why is it always me? And whereas, you know, at the end of the day, I've always been glad for every one of my injuries because they either point to some weakness that is going on and some other way, like you said, maybe cross-training, some other area you need to focus on or they make you so much stronger. So when you do come back from this injury, you want it more and you're more focused and you know kind of where you are at. So, yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that is very important. Well, well, rest is just as important as the activity itself. Yeah, definitely. Um, or another way of thinking about that is sometimes the best thing that you can do is nothing. And my experiences as distance runners as a group are not good at doing nothing. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. And um, so, so that would be the embedded lesson, if you will, is um, how well can you do nothing? Yeah. Right. And, and you, like you said, you know, the reference you made to, you know, talking to someone, it's, you know, is running who you are? Or is it something that you do? Mm-hmm. Right. We're, we're by definition, we're human beings. We're not human doings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would suggest that many of the people listen to this podcast, they're hum they've become human doings. Yeah. In other words, they don't really understand the concept of being. Mm -hmm. 
but they very much understand the concept of doing. Yeah. And, and what happens is, is that when you become better at being and you learn how to be, then everything that you do is changed by that. But most of us, we spend so much time obsessed on the doing that we never spend any time in the being. Yep, definitely. And so what happens then is you get people and they do really pretty wonderful things, right? Whether it be make a lot of money, make an Olympic team, run a PR. And so they accomplish these things. And then what's interesting to me is their experience of themselves right after they've done this wonderful thing, which is oftentimes they feel a sense of emptiness, right? Yeah. Like, you know, let's say, for example, I'm training for a marathon and I think, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to run a marathon. And not only do I run the marathon, but I run it faster than I thought I did. And then I wake up the next morning and I feel this deep sense of emptiness and incompleteness. Yeah. Right? Like a hollow person. Like now what? Yeah. And I think, how could that happen? Because now I'm I'm not going to run today. I don't have anything to do. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm going to rest for a couple of weeks. And how do I make sense of that? Yeah. I've heard a lot about the post-marathon blues. And yeah, for those few months, a few weeks afterwards, especially while you're not running and you are resting, um, you know, people really struggle with that and do feel a bit of depression, especially if they've um, got their like you said, exceeded their goals. Interesting that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, when it when it does come to runners, um, is there anything you would give uh, runners to kind of work on like during their runs? I mean, are you a big fan of visualization or um, anything they can practice in day-to-day training to kind of prepare for a race? Well, so let, let's talk a little bit about training. Then let's talk a little bit about kind of setting goals in a competitive environment. Okay. Okay. Um, what's interesting to me is that, um, and, and this is, I see this a lot in running and, and it, and it's true in other sports, but I, I definitely see this happening in running and I'm talking about kind of the average person who, you know, they have a day job, but, but they're a runner, right. And they run a lot, whether they, whether it is they get up in the morning and run or they run after work. And uh, maybe you have a coach, maybe you have an online coach, or maybe you just run with a group of people. Um, but you, you know, you kind of keep a running journal, right? And you keep up with the miles that you run. And what's interesting to me is that when you train this way, assuming, of course, that you're not injured, every workout that you do, you're able to succeed at, right? In other yeah. words, you complete the workout. And if you run by yourself, let's say, for example, if I could go out for a run today and I'm essentially coaching myself, I'm going to create a workout that I know that I can do, right? Yeah. So I might say, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to run six miles at an eight-minute pace. And I know I can do that. And so this is what my training looks like is, is I put together uh, an event, an experience that I know that I can do. You follow me? Yeah. And so there's just a series of success. There's really no failure in it. Yeah. The only time there would be, be failure is if, you know, I got hurt and couldn't complete it. Or, you know, maybe I've, you know, got a headache or got sick and during the run or something. But for the most part, most people that are distance runners, this is, this is their experience of training. 
is they're doing workouts that they know they can complete. Um, I recently um, joined a gym. Probably most of you guys are familiar with CrossFit, a CrossFit gym. And I had done it before. And, and so I started working out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with a, with a small group, with a trainer. And what happened uh, just a couple of weeks into it is the workout involved um, a series of exercises, but basically you had a minute to do X number of whatever the repetition was. Let's say you got a minute to do 20 sit-ups, you know, yep. or a minute to do, you know, 20 push-ups or a minute to do, you know, so many pull-ups. And there's multiple series of this, okay? And, of course, what happened, I think we did like eight rounds. <laughs> and I did find the first four or five rounds. But then, basically, when we got to about the sixth round, I was unable to complete the exercise. In other words, I couldn't do the minimum number in the time allotted. What I'm telling you is I experienced failure. Yep. And, and then repeated failure. Because we had several more rounds, and I was never able to do the number that was prescribed to the class to do. And I got in the car, and I was driving home, and I was thinking about this. And one of the things that struck me is how long it had been since I experienced failure in a physical activity. And instead of feeling bad about it, I felt really invigorated by it. <laughs> you know, like, man, I got my butt kicked today, and that was kind of cool. <laughs> because what I realized is I would have never created that experience for myself. You see? Yeah. That what we do, even in our training, is is we create workouts that essentially protect us. Whereas if your intention is to running faster or further, you actually have to be willingly to engage in things that you might not succeed at. Yeah, definitely. In other words, you have to choose failure. Yeah. Or you have to choose difficult. Yep. And what I'm saying is, is most of us won't do this on our own, right? We need an outside source. We need a coach, if you will. Yeah. And so, so the one thing that I would, you know, say to those folks listening is, 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 is look at your your training and what you're doing, and just notice how frequently you engage in a workout that's that's really difficult and one that may be, maybe you can't complete it or you can't complete it in the prescribed times. Okay. Because here's, what's going to happen. Once you experience this failure, most people go one or two directions, right? There's a people who go, well, that's not fair. That was a stupid workout anyway. And they kind of disengage, right? Because it hurts too much to let it be important. And, and those people aren't going to, do so well in competitive sport mm -hmm. on the other side you got the folks who when they experience failure it just makes them more determined right they yeah. dig in more yeah. and they try harder and and but they wouldn't have dug in more if they hadn't experienced the failure first you see yeah so what i'm saying is if we want to be successful we need failure in order to be successful and, and it might be simply going out and running with a group of people who are faster than you, all right, and going out and getting dropped, you know, or, you know, going to the track and running with a group that runs, runs their quarters, you know, their miles faster than you do, and just put yourself in that experience. So I, I think um, that's one thing that can be helpful to most people is to not – uh, shy away and move away from an experience that they think might lead to some failure.
Yeah, definitely. I think also because, you know, we live these lives now where we're so kind of uh, cushioned and, you know, things go well, things are very easy and we kind of have everything we need. So it makes it so much bigger of a contrast to go from, you know, that cushy lifestyle to pushing yourself and seeing that failure. And we don't want to, you know, especially in the sharing culture we're in, we don't want to share our failures. So great point you bring up there, but it is, it is so important. And uh, I, I know the few times I've had like, um, seamless uh training segments the race usually goes bad because i haven't had that failure but then in the in the race something goes wrong and then i don't know how to handle it so yeah it's a great point to bring up you know all i'm saying is is that we need failure but but rarely are we going to create it for ourselves yes yes very true Although I just want to mention with uh, with the training, um, like Dr. Stan was saying, it is important to go to a group and, uh, you know, be around other people so that you do fail. But we're not saying do this every single day. I mean, we have a lot of uh, trouble with, you know, runners tend to run too hard sometimes. So, you know, we're not saying do this every single day on every single run, but, you know, just a few times a week, go out and put yourself out there. So, yeah, or, or maybe it's something you do every once every couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and I'm not talking about failure in a sense of, you know, you pushed yourself so hard you got injured. I'm talking yeah. failure in terms of, you know, trying to, you know, run a 65 second 400, <laughs> you end up running a 68 second, yeah. yeah, you know, or you're trying to do, you know, a number of them at a certain pace and you did the first couple of the, at, at the pace, yeah. but then you got to the fourth or fifth and you weren't able to keep the pace up. Yeah. I, the the other thing that I think is important for people who are training for a race uh, is that most most runners, when they're training for a race, whether it be a ten k, a marathon, whatever, is they're training with a with a certain time in mind, right? And most of the time, it's they want to PR. They yeah. want to they want to run that distance at a at a pace faster than they have or, ever have before. Um. Again, most people, when they set goals, they set them with fear in mind. In other words, they they don't want to set a goal that they're going to fail mm-hmm. to reach, right? So what most people do, and I, and I see this with my business clients as well, is because in business, there's a lot of goal setting. You know, we're planning for the year. You know, how many do you think you're going to sell? How much do you think you're going to sell? You have to create a goal. You have to put it out there. And so what most of us do is in that process is we come up with a number that we're 100% sure that we can hit. Mm-hmm. Right? So if I've run, you know, a 42-minute 10K then I might say, I know I can run another 42-minute 10K, and so that's my goal, you know, is to do as well as I did. But the, the challenge and the, the, what really makes running exciting is to then begin to whittle away at that and say, okay, what's the time that I'm only 90% sure that I could run? You know, I write that number down. You know, what's a goal that I'm 80% sure that I could hit? You know, write that number down. What's a goal that I'm only 70% sure that I could hit, write that down. You know, what's a goal that I'm 60% sure that I could hit? And this is usually where I stop people. Okay. Okay. What's the time or or the distance that you believe right now you have a 60% chance of success and a 40% chance of failure? Let that be your goal. Hmm. Because invariably what happens is even if you don't hit your hundred percent goal, 
And even if you don't hit your 60% sure goal, you're going to do something that you haven't done before. You're going to run faster than you have before. Yeah. Right. But what I'm getting is, 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 is the fact that you now introduce the option of failure, right? That can be a huge motivator. And if you set your goals where you take the failure out or take or push all the fear out, I think it doesn't put you in a place where you're going to really challenge it and push yourself. Okay. Now I've done this personally where, um, you know, I kind of wanted to experience it firsthand. And when I turned 50, I ran a 50 K and, and I realized early on that, that there was a pretty good chance that I wouldn't complete it mm-hmm. because the, the furthest that I ever ran in a training run was 17 miles, but yet I ran 31. But more importantly is, is I had convinced myself before I started that I was going to do it yeah. and that I was capable of doing it. At the same time, I realized I was doing something I haven't done before. But it, the whole thing started where I was just going to run another marathon. And what I found is as I was training to run a marathon, I, I wasn't excited about it. There wasn't any joy in it. Mm-hmm. And I realized there wasn't any joy in it because I was doing something I'd already done before and I knew I could do. Right. So I had to kind of raise the bar on myself. And then once I did that, it changed the whole experience. Because I, I went to, you know, I went and ran every day with a sense of, you know, I better, I better get on this thing. Otherwise, I'm going to fall on my face. And so what I'm saying is, is it kept me engaged. Yeah. So we, we need goals that scare us a little bit. Okay. We, we need goals that, that um, wake you up in the morning and, and push you out of the bed. And if you don't set a goal that's big enough, you won't do that. But what will happen is, is you'll achieve your little goal. But what will happen in the process of doing is that you won't feel fully alive, right? It's, it's, that, it's that possibility of I may not be able to pull this off. That's what makes every day interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, that's, that, that's my encouragement for folks who are you know, thinking about running another race is, is, is uh, you know, introduce the, 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 the concept of failure. And, and set a goal that's pretty big, realizing that if I don't get on this thing, I'm not going to make it. And when you say about, you know, if you realize you might not make it, is, uh, how do you kind of separate that from if you realize you're not going to make it, you know, I'm still me, I'm still who I am. That doesn't take anything away from, you know, how what kind of person I am. How do you kind of prevent people from, you know, that fear of not making it? And uh, if they don't achieve it, that doesn't, you know, change anything. It's, well, if you if you use the example I was giving you where you start with a goal that you're 100% sure you can hit, yeah. a time 100% sure you can run, and you take all the way down to a time that you're only 60% sure. So let's say you don't run that time that you were 60% sure. Mm-hmm. But I bet you the time that you ran is faster than the 100% one. Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. So, so, so have a range of goals. Yeah, so the question is, is did you really fail? True. Um, what, what happens is most people, when they're – when they're planning or they're setting goals, they're actually doing it in a way that's protecting themselves. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is do it in such a way that you make yourself vulnerable. It's a good point. Then you'll feel fully alive. Yeah. Then you'll feel fully engaged in what you're doing. Okay. And then how about if people, um, you know, they, they have that goal and it's really, you know, really is a 60% goal and they want, you know, they really want to go after it, but how do you stop people from getting, you know, obsessed with it? And, you know, I've been there in the past uh, with, you know, I wanted to break 240 in the marathon and I feel like I got to a point where I was obsessed. 
And like I said, now I've kind of, you know, found a new way of channeling my mind. But what do you do with people who, you know, maybe that goal is, um, you know, absolutely the best they could expect. But um, how do you stop it from overtaking everything about their life? Well, it's the difference between wanting to do something and expecting to do something. Okay. Okay. If I want to do something, I can become obsessed with that desire of wanting to do something. Okay. Okay. But if I believe that I'm going to run a 240 marathon and I believe that I'm doing all the things that I need to do, and so not only do I want it to happen, but I know it's going to happen, okay, now it's an expectation, it's a belief, I won't be obsessed about it. That's true. Right? So a lot of our obsession is out of a sense of not knowing But ultimately, what you want to do as an athlete is you want to go into a competitive arena very confident, right? And essentially what confidence means is, is I think this is going to happen, right? Yeah. So if you think about tomorrow, there's none of us that know what's going to happen tomorrow. But every one of us, as we think about tomorrow, we're creating the story of tomorrow right now, Mm -hmm. right? In other words, you're making up tomorrow today, Yeah. right, as you think about the future. And so the question is, what's the story that you're making up in your head? Because that's all the future is. The future isn't a thing. The future is you thinking about the next thing. Yeah. So how, when you do future in your mind, what specifically are you thinking about? Right. And what I'm saying is, is if I'm going into a competition and I really believe that I'm going to do what I've planned to do, so I expect to do it, I'm going to have a peace about me. Mm-hmm. Right. But if I want to do it, but I'm not sure that I will, I'm going to be very unsettled. So what I'm saying is, is the fact that you want to do well, that doesn't differentiate you from anyone else. The difference between the good athletes and the great athletes is the great athletes actually expect it's going to happen. Like in their mind, this is what's going to happen. So they go into it with a knowing or with a confidence that the rest of us don't have. Yeah. At the same time, they go into it with a peace about it. Right. So in other words, if I know whatever the it is, if I know that it's going to work out, I'm not worried about it. That's a good point. Very interesting. <laughs> and uh, can you just clarify when you when you say athletes, you know, a lot of um, a lot of our listeners uh we'll be kind of thinking, yeah, but I'm not an athlete. You're not talking about, you know, this doesn't necessarily just apply. And the same about your book, which we'll go on uh, talk about in a, in a second. Um, it, you're not just talking about, you know, the top level athletes. What you're saying here can be applied to, you know, um, whether you run a, a six minute mile for your race or a 15 minute mile for your race. It's still, you know, you're thinking of everyone as athletes as one, right? Well, the mind is the same, right? Mm-hmm. The brain of a 15 15- minute miler is functions the same way the brain as a six minute miler does. Yeah. Now they might believe different things about themselves, but these mental processes that we're talking about are the same, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, thinking about the future, that process is pretty much the same for all of us. Mm -hmm. What we think about might be different. The content of it is different, but the process is the same. Yeah. Very true. What I've noticed with a lot of athletes across sport is when they think about the future, they think about things not going well, to which I say, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. 
right? So let, let me back up a minute and explain something that's really important that I want people to, to get away from this talk. There, there's two fundamental beliefs that we have that are going to dictate our lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. The first is a belief about self, right? And I either believe I'm good enough, I'm okay, or I believe I'm not good enough, I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. Now, most people who don't think that they're good enough, they don't know that they think that they're not good enough, mm-hmm. right? So if you're obsessed with getting better and every day you wake up and you're thinking, I got to get better, what you're really telling yourself is right now, today, I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. That the obsession with better and more is also a message of I'm not content with where I am right now. Yeah. And this is a point that a lot of people want to argue with me about because they say, well, Stan, if you quit wanting to get better, then you're going to stop growing. Well, I don't think that's true either, you know. Again, growing is something that happens to you. It's not something that you do. It's kind of like your heart beating. Mm -hmm. You don't make your heart beat. So am I okay? Am I enough or not? And then the second belief is one about the future, and it goes like this. Do I think it's going to work out or not? So if my belief about myself is I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, and my belief about the future is I'm not sure it's going to work out, You can see it's going to be a pretty bumpy ride for me, right? Yeah. But if my belief about myself is I'm enough, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to continue to grow, develop, and evolve. It's just right now, today, I'm okay with me, and and there's enough of me to do what I need to do. And my belief about the future is things are going to work out for me. You can see what that ride would be like. Yeah. That's very interesting. But there's a lot of people and they're trying to do big things and great things with a belief about themselves that they're not enough and a belief about the future that I'm not sure it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. And all I'm saying is, is you can't pull that off. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. Yeah. You're going to eventually sabotage yourself. Yeah. That's really, that's really something to think about. That's great. And are there any, is that, would you say affirmations or how can people kind of spin their perspective if they, do you, are listening to this thinking, wow, you know, maybe I am someone who doesn't believe in myself, doesn't believe in where I can go. Well, m- most people, their belief about their self is, 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 has been adopted from other people. Okay. Okay. Um, most of our beliefs in general, not just our beliefs about ourselves, but our beliefs about the world, you know, our beliefs about other people, our beliefs about God, whatever we adopted from someone else. Yeah. In other words, someone told us their belief and we took it as our own. Yeah. And what I think is really important if you're going to become a, a you know, a grown up is that you develop your own belief system and you do that in a conscious way. So as I think about myself and the value of myself, am I good enough or not? How would I go about doing that? You know, would I, go around and ask people, what do you think of me? And then based upon what they said about me, I would adopt that as my belief about myself. That's what most of us do. Yeah. Or would there be another process of doing that? But if, you know, if I was passing judgment, let's say there were a group of us and we ran together and I was being really critical of someone, it's likely another person in the group would say, you know what, Stan, it's not your place to, you know, pass judgment on Tina. Yeah. And if I'm a reasonable person, I'd say, you know what? That's right. I shouldn't judge you. But then I'd turn around the next second and do the same thing to myself. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. 
And if you ask me about myself, I'd say, well, that's me. I can treat me however I want to. But I don't think we can for the same reason that I can't treat you that way. Yeah. So what I'm getting at is, is I see people being very critical and even hostile towards themselves, right? And justifying it by saying, well, it's me and I can treat me however I want to. Yeah. But if you treat yourself with that kind of aggression and criticism and hostility, there's no way you can perform at your best. Right? Yeah. I mean, it makes no sense to me. No, that's true. do this and they feel like it's in order to continue to grow and develop, they need to beat themselves up on a regular basis. And I, I disagree. <laughs> that's that's a great point. It, it kind of reminds me, it's like the opposite of, you know, the, the quote, treat others how you would like to be treated. Well, we need to spin it around and treat yourself how you would like uh, others to treat you, you know. or um, So, th yeah, that's interesting to think about. Um, okay, so um, let's uh, talk a little bit about your, your book, Elite Minds, um, for uh, our listeners who may not have heard of it or are interested in what you've been talking about and want to um, purchase the book. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's about? Yeah, I wrote the book. Um, it came out, in, uh, came out two years ago in July of 13. It was really... Um, I, I was really thinking about kind of the things that I've learned uh, about humans from working mostly with athletes. And, and I took some, some stories of athletes that I worked with and just kind of following through their process of getting from point A to point B with the intention of really trying to help people understand how we get there. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I didn't want to do is I didn't want to write a how-to book because I think there's a lot of those. And I don't think that you're going to reach your goal or become fully and completely who you are by following someone else's path. That I think ultimately what we have to do is we have to cut our own path in the woods. Yeah. And so I wanted to write a book that really kind of encouraged people to do it their own way versus do it my way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So instead of, you know, here's my six secrets to success. You know, basically what I said is there's no such a thing. And what you have to do is to be willing to go out and find your own way. And so writing a book to kind of encourage people to do that, which is a scary thing to do. Yeah. Um, and then along the way, sharing some stories that um, with athletes are just things that I've experienced that were big lessons for me. Um, so that that's in, in essence what the what I've attempted to do in the book and and it seems like we did a pretty good job of that. The book has done well and it's um, received some awards and it sold quite well. So I'm happy about that. And um, you can, um, there's a couple ways you can get it. You can get it straight from the publisher, which is book logics, book L O G I X.com. You can go on their website and order it. You can also order it through amazon.com. And you can get it in paperback or in the you know the e-reader version. Um, and I'll put a link to that actually in our show notes as well, just for people, which will be at runnersconnect.net forward slash rc61 if you want to get a copy of that. Um, so just one more thing I want to ask you about the book. Um, I haven't actually, uh, like I mentioned to you earlier, I haven't um, had a chance to read it yet, but I do have a copy on the way, which I am looking forward to reading. Um, but 
through the sample pages you have on uh, your website, which I will also put a link to on the show notes, um, you talk about, you know, this isn't a quick fix, uh, that, you know, we need to go through these pain and struggles to get better. And it kind of made me think about how, you know, it is like the grind of running. Like, you know, if you're you're doing a marathon, an ultra, most of those runs aren't the glamorous, enjoyable runs. Most of those are the kind of drudging through. Um, But is this kind of how you see the mind, like the same way you kind of train the body? Yeah, well, I mean, essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to to evolve mm-hmm. or transform. And and we can we can transform our mind and our body simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And so that that is, you know, people talk about what's the purpose of life and why are we here? I think that's what it is. It's to evolve and become fully and completely what we're capable of being. That's yep. it. Yep. It's not to make more money, you know, it's not to be rich and famous. It's it's to continue that transformation process and, and to assist other people in theirs. Yeah. That to me is the purpose of, of this life. Yeah. So, and I think sport is an excellent way of, of speeding that process up. Right. Yeah. As there's a number of activities that we can do that will enhance or speed up that process. Um, that that's one of the reasons why I've just become so interested in sport. Yeah. So what it does to us. Is, uh, is it like the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs? You're like reaching the highest levels. Yeah, you can you can think of it that way. I I think of it as um, there becomes a point where you quit trying to preserve your life. Okay. Okay. And I'm not talking about being suicidal. I'm just talking about becoming ambivalent about preserving the box that you came in and essentially giving up control of that, which scares the hell out of most people. (laughs) When you, when you read the book, there's a chapter in there about the marathon monks from Japan who basically do a marathon for a hundred consecutive days. Wow. Right. And if for any reason they're unable to complete the process, they have to take their own life. And, 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 and the point of the story is, is if you, if you went into any endeavor with the intention of, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for this, what would you be able to do? And the answer is, is some pretty amazing things Mm -hmm. that the rest of the world would look at and go, that's impossible. And that's exactly what these guys are doing. Okay, because they're willing to fully commit themselves and they're not afraid of dying and they're not afraid of pain and suffering. Right. What does that free you up to do? Really give it your best. Yes. But but what I'm saying is when when fear leaves you, Mm -hmm. that is a transformative moment. Interesting. But if you're trying to preserve yourself and keep yourself intact as you are, you're living in fear. Great point. So you have to be willing to let what you have now go away with the hope and understanding that the next thing will come. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great way to end this really is uh, definitely so many things to think about. My mind is just like churning away right now. I'm thinking about, you know, all those great points. Sure. It's not the coffee. Yeah, well, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I can't blame that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners will be thinking that, that it could be the coffee. But um, 
Uh, I just have one more question for you, uh, which I do ask all the guests that come on the show. Um, If you could give one word to describe what you would like to become, accomplish or achieve this year, what would it be and why? What's my one word? Mm-hmm. I would say silence. Okay. I uh, kind of where I am in my own life as well, and a lot of work with athletes. I do a lot of work with golfers, and 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 what I'm realizing is 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 that what you're actually trying to teach yourself to do is to silent your mind, which is to not think at all. Yeah. Okay. To turn it off. And we, we're a culture of people that we really put a lot of emphasis on the ability to be a good thinker, right? Yep. And the flip side of that is become good at not thinking at all. And so for me, the absence of thought is silence. And I'm not talking about silence in terms of volume and noise. I'm talking about silence in terms of that emptiness. But what happens is, is that when you stop thinking, you start being. And most of us, and I talked earlier about being a human being. One of the things that keeps us from being a human being and turns us into our human doing is that all the thinking that we do. Yeah. And so one of the things that I've been working on, as well as with some of the athletes I work with, is, is practicing silence and specifically the practicing to not think. And so how long can I go without having a thought? Hmm. And then what is that experience like? And it's pretty wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the essence of meditation. Yeah. Um, but just that, that sense of, of being quiet, uh, having no noise in your head, um, the stillness, the silence of no thought. Because when you get to that place, what's going to happen is you're going you're gonna to become aware of something. There's a knowing that will take place that it can't take place when you're thinking. Hmm. Great point. Interesting. And that that's probably the most interesting word I've had on the show that some, uh, anyone has brought up, And but it's very true. And especially throughout this interview, I was thinking, you know, what you were saying, a lot of it is less is more. You know, we're always trying to do more and more things, trying to cram more and more into our busy lives, but sometimes having less and actually being at peace with that is 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 the way to go. <laughs> well, or, or to really get honest with yourself and ask yourself the question, what is it that I really want? Yeah, very true. Um, I mean, is is it that you really want to run faster or, you know, is that it or is it something else? Yeah, very true. And I think when we stop and really sit with it, we realize that the thing that we're pursuing is maybe not what we want after all or certainly not what we need. Yeah. Okay. Well, great, great way to uh, end the interview there. And I want to thank you so much, Dr. Stan, for coming on the show. And uh, I want to encourage all of our uh, listeners to check out his book, uh, Elite Minds, which I will put on the show notes. So check that out. And uh, thank you again for uh, coming on and uh, letting us kind of see into your insights here. Well, thank you, Tina. It's it's been fun to be with you. Great. Thank you. Uh And there you have it. Another great interview, another great look into the insight of a human mind. Really enjoyable. What we talked about today, in addition to links to Dr. Stan's book, Elite Minds, can be found at runnersconnect.net forward slash RC61. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I know you have many ways you could spend your time, so it really means a lot that you choose to spend it with us. If you are enjoying the podcast, I would love to hear from you. 
and you can email me at tina at runnersconnect.net. If you have any suggestions for future guests or just want to let me know what you think, I would really love to hear from you. Have a great week of running.